welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Viking Story. If you are a subscriber from Season 1 and you've stuck along with me on this journey, then uh, thank you very much. If you are new to this podcast, then welcome. Obviously, I encourage you to check out Season 1. The original idea behind this podcast was that it was going to be a tool for me to look into various Viking themes that I had to consider when writing a novel that I wrote, uh, which is also set in the Viking Age. Uh, this season is going to continue that. It's going to look a little bit more at the novel itself, but if there's one thing I've learned from the feedback I've received from all you listeners, it's that you really enjoy the Viking subject matter of my podcasts. So I definitely don't want to abandon that. So I will be looking at various Viking themes throughout this season, and in fact I, I've got an idea in mind where I'm going to look at various Viking mysteries, and I'm going to try to solve these mysteries and unravel them. However, this particular episode is going to focus a little bit more on the actual novel that I've written. As the title of the episode suggests, things are not so positive at the moment. Uh, I have received a number of rejections for my novel, which is a little bit disheartening, but another part of this podcast is just following along with the journey and taking you on the ups and downs with me. So I'd like to give you an update on the status of my novel right now, but before I do that, actually I think I'm just going to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about sort of my background and my history. So actually writing for me goes all the way back to my childhood and my mother was a writer and she was a freelance writer and she wrote for various newspapers and magazines and I always looked at her life and I thought it was pretty cool that she could write her own opinions and her own thoughts on things and put it out there for the world to digest and she got paid for it. She also got to stay at home a lot, work from home, seemed like a nice schedule. She would always bake banana bread, always smelled lovely, tasted, tasted delicious. So I just thought, yeah, staying at home, being a writer, making banana bread on the side, sounds like a lovely life. And uh, that sort of ignited my passion for writing from, from a very early age. But things got rather serious around age 12, I would say, because at this point in school, I was already starting to write some stories and gaining a bit of traction with uh, the positivity that came from my my teachers. And I remember at this time, there was an author, and at the time, I believe he was the youngest Canadian author of all time. His name was Gordon Corman, and he had also done some writing for his school, and he'd actually got one of his works published. And this was published for him at the age of 14. And I remember being a 12-year-old kid thinking, I mean, that's great that he got something published, uh, but I think I can beat that record. He was 14. I'm 12 right now. And I, I truly believe that I could have published something at age 12 or age 13 and, and beaten this record. So I did set out to do that. I'd written a, a children's novel, which uh, I've looked back at now. And actually, I still think it holds up. It's a, a pretty good little novel, especially for... 12-year-old at the time. So I kind of took it upon myself to reach out to different publishing companies, see if anyone would be interested in this uh, novel that I'd written, and the feedback I got. So actually the way it worked back then is the internet wasn't such a big thing, not to age myself too much, but everything was done more or less through the post, and what you had to provide was a sample of your work, maybe a cover letter explaining a little bit about who you are, your background, and uh, sort of like maybe a little synopsis of the story and an SAE, which is a self-addressed envelope. So actually I had to buy envelopes. I can't remember if my parents helped me or not, but um, I had envelopes with stamps that I bought, put the stamp on, wrote my address on the envelope as well, so that when you send it out to these publishers, 
they can actually send you their rejection, more or less, um, through the post in an envelope that you've already prepared for them. And I remember as a little guy, I had a filing cabinet back home and I set aside a section for rejection letters. It was even titled Rejections. And I made a mistake as a child because I actually forgot that I'd done this and then I created a second section for rejection. So I ended up being that I had this these two sections for rejections or this massive section, however you want to look at it, which was kind of funny in, in, in hindsight because I did receive a lot of rejections. So, and I think that's just, just the way it is, to be honest. The reason why I don't think my book worked back then, reading it now, uh, so now I have children of my own. I've, I've read a lot more children's books and it seems to me like children's books always have sort of like a moral to the story, something like that, or like a deeper meaning that is uh, meaningful to the to the parents reading it, perhaps. And my story did not have that. It followed a character. Uh, it was very entertaining. You could kind of think of it as like, I don't know, following the life of Bart Simpson or something like that, because Bart Simpson as a child character is someone that other children can kind of relate to. But if you were to follow him in his day-to-day -day activities, it would probably be really entertaining and fun, but would it be educational? Uh, probably not. Uh, there was sort of an educational element to my stories that I kind of thought of. My character traveled around the world, so the idea was to introduce the reader to different cultures. But at its core, it was just sort of a fun, fictional entertainment novel, not something typical in the children's genre, I don't think, and, and I think it would be a hard sell even today. Although, on the other hand, there's the argument that a child's story for children written by a child, there's probably something to that. But yeah, at the time, I got a lot of rejections. I did receive some positive feedback. In particular, I remember one publisher in Quebec um, really thought it was a really good story, really good quality writing. They were really, you know, they were really on board in a sense. They, they really enjoyed it encouraged me to write on, but at the end of the day, they ultimately rejected me. So I never did break the record uh, of 14 years old and, and publishing. The record now actually has been broken, though. I do believe the youngest Canadian author is seven, something like that. And worldwide, I believe it's four, which I don't know how that's possible, to be honest. I, I think I was around five before I could even write my own name. So publishing a book at age four seems incredible to me. But yeah, good on good on these young authors for doing that. It's a similar story for me now. So thank goodness times have changed a little bit. We don't have to do everything through snail mail. We do have the internet. So I, I discovered the process is very similar to how it was back when I was a kid, uh, although it's all done through email now. But you still have to send sort of a synopsis of your, your work. So what are the plot lines? How does this begin, middle, end, you know? What are the, the, the main points? Obviously, you have to send a sample of your work, a little cover letter. So it's very similar, except that it's all done electronically now. And again, the feedback was rather positive, I would say. A good percentage, well, what I think is a good percentage, maybe 5 to 10% of the, the people I contacted, wrote me back saying that the work is good, the writing is good. Some said they even enjoy it. But again, ultimately, nobody... Nobody took the project on. And a part of me, maybe it's it's a romantic way to look at it, but I always kind of thought if your writing is good, then it'll speak for itself and the cream will rise to the top. Um, but 
I've sort of discovered that the publishing industry is, yeah, it is a business. So if they don't think that it's marketable for whatever reason, then it doesn't really matter how good it is. Or conversely, if something's not so great, but they think that, it, that there's a market for it, probably that has a better shot at, at getting published. At least that's the way I kind of feel right now. I recently uh, read something from another author. His name's Chris Jericho. And uh, for those of you who might not be aware, he is a three-time New York Times bestselling author. And he was relating his publishing story. And he was saying that for his fourth book, the publishing company that he was working with told him that this book is probably a little bit more niche. There's a bit more of a niche audience compared to his previous three books. And they just weren't sure, you know, if it was going to sell. And uh, they actually did not back him. So in the end, he had to self-publish this book, which is a route I might have to go down eventually myself as well. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, if a three-time New York Times bestselling author can't convince his publishing company that his fourth book is also going to be worthwhile, you know, what chances a guy like me have, really? But you've just got to try to stay positive. I've always been a positive person, and this is a passion of mine, so you've just got to continue pushing forward. Back in the day, uh, I was also something of an actor, <laughs> not a very successful one, but um, I did go for auditions and it's the same thing in that world. Uh, you get rejected 20, 30, 40 times, but the idea is that eventually you'll get that one shot, that one role, that one opportunity to prove yourself. So that's, I, I see many similarities with, with publishing a novel. So the rejections are just part and parcel of it, but um, you just have to persevere and wait for that one chance. In saying that, I have actually started the sequel to my novel. So continuing the passion is something I'm I'm very passionate about. And uh, we'll just see where this leads. I will keep you guys updated if there's any developments. But as I said, I am going to try to keep a focus on Viking subject matter for this season. And uh, next episode, we'll actually look at the very first of what I'm calling the Viking Mysteries series. So the next episode is going to look at the mysteries surrounding the Vinland map. And if some of you are unfamiliar with Vinland or you just want to maybe learn a little bit more about it, definitely a good preparation for the next episode would be to go back and listen to episode four from season one, where I talk about Vinland. And this will give you a good grounding of what Vinland is, all the subject matter related to Vinland, and uh, yeah, just all the background behind the story. So I definitely recommend you checking that episode out from season one, but otherwise I will see you in the next episode. As always, if you're a fan, if you're a publisher, if you are an agent, if you just want to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. That's vikingstoryfaq. And yeah, just send me all your emails. And until next time, cue Thor's Thunder.